Welcome to House Comma Blood, where strangers are family. Every episode may contain graphic content such as copious amounts of blood, unnecessary cursing, death of all ages, infantile to immortal, fantasy drug use, nudity, and perhaps mentions of sex, and sound effects of various qualities. We cannot stress enough that this is a mature content with adult themes. You have been warned. Where has this Game Master been? First, we start off not with the explosion of the estate, not with Asmodai's anger, nor Leo's attempt to escape. We start weeks prior, before Leo or Nynx plans to destroy the estate and every noble in it. We see a lone traveler within a 60-foot deep valley, and we hear the wind howl as a blizzard paints everything a blinding white. An overwhelming smell of peppermint wafts in the air, and the only thing that thrives in this harsh climate are Gellian peppermint shrubs. A single budding flower looks like a hundred small red and white tulips. The gnomish traveler, hunched forward and arms crossed, has a slow pace over a gray and frozen ground. We see on the ground large frost carvings, reminiscent of ruins of giant kind. Inside the black canvas of his mind, we see the stroke of white ink in a long straight line. He falls a carving, and eventually the ground becomes an arch, where the ruin continues on the wall. With a sigh, we see the gnome tossing a rope over the arch, and he cinches it as he attaches it to a small engine on his belt. He supports himself and does a wall walk. We hear the motor wearing and whizzing as a rope loosens and tightens as he gets farther and farther. It echoes down the 40-foot drop to the frozen river. As he slowly crawls above the valley, he keeps a mental image of this canvas, the white line bending sharply and ends. Then a new ruin starts. Eventually, we see a migration of feathered fish swimming in the air, passing the gnome. A couple frightful moments happen as he loses his footing for a second and falls a few inches, only for the rope and belt to catch him. The rope begins to fray as the arch becomes metallic and the edge becomes sharp. He hurries along as it rises and sharply descends, ragdolling the small traveler as he zip lines down. Then the motor stops a few feet from the end of the arch. He gets angry, grabs out a wrench, and tries to undo bolt. Then he hits the motor few times and then it kicks off again. He reaches the other side, safe and out of breath, the frigid air freezing his nose hairs. He has a complete image of the two ruins inside of his mind, only guessing what they could possibly mean. Quickly, he scribbles them down in parchment. We see a close-up of the gnome, raising his head. His heart stops, his people shrink. The blizzard dies and the howl of the wind becomes a whistle of wind. As the camera begins to reel back, wind rushes past our ears as we see the gnome become smaller and smaller in the valley in its vast glory. We eventually see he's standing upon the shoulder of a giant. Icicles droop from the forearms to the beards 
to the rigor mortis of the hand still holding a 20-foot longsword against a similar-sized axe for his opponent. Both of their weapons forever clashed. The camera keeps zooming back and we see many 40-foot giants encased in ice, statues of a stagnant war. This is the Valley of Hollow Clashes. We hear a tiny ting. Echoing through the valley, the camera zooms back into the gnome as he taps a pike into the collarbone of a cloud giant. And instead of blood, air begins to scream from the puncture. We hear a whirl as we see an upward shot of the gnome scaling down the giant and gradually covering the full view. Then we see a side profile of him chiseling the chest of the giant. Then we see a montage of the sun quickly ascending and descending as a few days pass and day and night flash in the sky in tandem. Finally, there's a scarlet hole in the giant with a beating heart, the same size as the traveler. Every beat is a gust of wind. Every beat is a gust of warm, fresh air. The gnome wipes the sweat from his brow and surgically cuts the valves. We hear a pained groan followed by a prompt death. Leather straps. Leather strap fastens the heart to a satellite cargo holder, which he buckles onto his back. We see a faraway shot of the gnome scaling down the giant with a slight whiz carried on the wind. Then suddenly, the motor kicks out and begins to fall rapidly. 30 feet. He looks at the ground, staring in horror. 20 feet. He feels his ice go pure cold. 10 feet. Life begins to flash before his eyes. Five feet, he sees himself as a child. Four feet, he sees himself flattered on the ground. And then, the motor kicks back on again, sparking a flame as he immediately stops before the ground, giving him whiplash. Dane, in pure horror, he rubs his back, dangling his legs because he can't touch the ground. He eventually cuts the rope, falls to the ground, tosses away the motor, slinging away curses as he walks away, and the flurry turns the screen white. Then we have a, I would say, a white noise that persists in the air. We hear that ringing, and then we see the white turn into the white of the explosion of the state as we're in present day. And we see Asma die as his jaw clenches. We see Leo, his former business associate, as he blows a horn in front of the Diamond estate. It was then that everything turned black and white. Time itself slowed down. It was more, I would say, luck than instinct. They began to dash forward towards uh, the suit-wearing uh, Leonin. Leo's face began to blur, then morph, changing into an orc. Asmodeus' eyes, I would assume, widen at the very thought. It's no surprise to you. You know exactly what he is. It's a Gashayan. It was then that the bright light came from the state, as all your political contacts and strings that you made that very night just burnt up in flames and was crushed by rubble. That white light just blinds you as it persists. As the white light persists, you see a realm before you manifest, a vibrant red of more like a gradient of vibrant red, scarlet, and crimson, painted on a black canvas with a never-ending heat wave effect. Cavern walls surround you in a volcanic landscape with only 
blinding white hole where the ceiling should be. In the heart of the scorching land is a fortress made of obsidian on a lava rock pinnacle with a moat of bubbling lava. Sulfur deprives you of air as your heart is pumping with unyielding adrenaline. A drawbridge made of gray metallic uh, metal uh, from the ironwork forest slowly de uh, descends with the sound of clinking giant chains, burning with the same white red glow of a sword in a forge. A torrent of steam bursts from the entrance, each wave shaped like fallen soldiers on a battlefield running away in fear. Hear a deep, baritone voice reverberate in this realm. It is time. Come. Now, Asmodai, how did you look at the ball? Was it uh, shining? Like, describe your character, what he looks like, and his armor. Uh, I mean, his armor is black and red. It would have been very nicely polished. Uh, and would have been, well, can't quite gleam, but it, it had a very nice shine to it. Uh, and, I mean, that's really about it. Made it look as nice as he could. Mm hmm all right as you walk over the bridge your metallic boots melt just a little leaving small droplets of black as you enter the antechamber of uh, silvali fortress the name of the fortress alone is incarnate of your master willpower guts uh this is the holy land of vulcan the legendary conqueror the room that you enter has black marble tile and Pearl, I would say pearl marble walls with animated paintings of every great battle that Vulcan has graced with his indomitable presence. Your eyes widen. Each battle was akin to scripture, to this deity. Being ignorant of any of these legends was borderline blasphemous. If one was to consider themselves a true devotee to the conqueror himself. One of the paintings shows a large and tall man with a fiery beard with a flaming greatsword planted in the ground, scorching giant folk in their land. Behind him is a crumbling kingdom that dwarfs his large size. The painting itself has heat waves. Asmodai, you know this painting. It's called The Blood Creek of Urgelmir. Uh, it's a misleading name. Uh, Vulcan's Invasion of the Land of Giants, Urgelmir where each slash of his sword, a giant would bleed a river. Vulcan conquered their valleys, mountains, plains, everything besides the capital, Urgil's Crater, where the last Titan, Urgil, personally fought till a draw. Although the Titan was injured before battle, Urgil and his army of a hundred giants versus Vulcan alone. Their fight made a crater that wiped out miles of long forest. He left with riches and everything besides the capital and its throne. You walk along in the next painting for a golden desert with gnomes and yanti in robes and silk headdresses, fleeing from an encroaching black blight, showing Vulcan merely strolling in towards the citizens, and his mighty fiery beard turning the golden sands into black glass. The gnomes hide underneath the sands and the yanti travel endlessly in the desert stopping before a guardian dust devil. It ends with Vulcan using a single slash to make the tornado into a glass sculpture of one, ending with Vulcan sitting on a throne. Asmodai, you know, is painting as the Thubaran Stroll. There's countless paintings. And finally, 
before the throne room, you see an imperial staircase with a large painting, the largest one thus far, about 40 feet of height, and I'd say about 120 feet in length. Vulcan is but a half an inch flame in scale with the grand painting, while the colossi of this painting are 30 feet in scale with the frame. You could only guess on the size of these creatures, but they dwarf giants of your modern age. We see two sides fighting, uh, basically pale white giants, in a sense, with golden striped war paint, while the other side is just every monstrosity imaginable with two maws on each one. They're all fighting within a raging sea with no land in sight. As, as the battle rages on, the t uh, these two sides keep fighting. And we see the fight itself is not ended by Vulcan, but by nine dragons, eight of them scaleless, with pink skin and red and blue veins, while the ninth is a multicolored dragon, dense, dead center of the painting. It's flying with wings splayed, covering the uh, covering an eclipse. Each scale casts a shadow of their respective color over these giants and demons. And they all shape to make an empty throne. And you hear from the throne room. Six thrones. The voice reverberates again from the throne room. Asmodai, do you go to the throne room? Yes. So you just snap out of your artistic pilgrimage. You slowly clank your boots over the marble throne or marble floor to the throne room. Inside this throne room, you see treasures and mementos of fallen kingdoms and mighty warriors, all lined up to the throne, from battle axes mounted in piles of gold to tiara sunken in barrels of spice. Each memento is a leader of a vanquished army by Vulcan's hand, each with a statue of their strongest hit against the conqueror or a pose of their most clever tactic against him, each decapitated holding their own head. Pillars divide the throne room from both sides. On each side, you can see the spirits of conquerors and vigilant warriors enjoying endless revelry. And you hear from the throne itself. My biggest regret was that there were only six thrones before I ascended. We see Vulcan sitting on a red throne with gold trimming. Ornaments of swords, axes, lances, and many more weapons hang off the throne. He's exactly like his depiction. A fiery beard, eyebrows, hair, and you see a heat wave over his face. The god has black armor and a dirt-colored side cape with tiny swords marking it as if it were a battlefield burial ground. He's 12 feet tall, towering your size, Asmodai. Three thrones is what I missed to rule the world. His burning coal eyes smoke with unbridled anger. Broken chains hang from his forearm and clank against the steel throne. Asmodai, what do you do in this throne room? I mean, I just look towards him and I bow. As you bow, he says, Good, you know your place. And he just stares at you longingly. I assume that. Are you looking him in the eyes or are you looking down on the floor? I mean, I'm looking. Uh, 
Nah, I'd look him in the eyes. I'd get down one knee, I'd bow, and I'd look him in the eyes. Hell yeah, you look him in his fucking fiery eyes. He looks back and says, Stand. Assume you do so. As you stand up. He asks you a question. Do you think you failed me? Uh, no, I do not. Not yet, at least. Not yet. Why do you think that? I have... <laughs> There's nothing that I have really failed you on that's far as I can see. I'm still on the way to conquering. It takes time. And I am always gaining more dominion. And he gives you... It's a cold smile, the same one you keep giving. And he says... You're right. We cannot prepare for every possibility in life, even when everything is stacked against us. You are a conqueror. That is what you're born to do. You have the blood of a conqueror spirit within you. And he stands up, then he clanks down each one of the steps, slowly and surely. He, I would say he comes within 10 feet of you before stopping, and he has his sword planted on the ground, and it feels like a furnace with the heat. He says to you, Asmodai, repeat the tenets of a conqueror. What do you say? Uh, to root, to broach no dissension to my rule, to rule through fear, to make my enemies feel, feel fear within them. It is not enough just to beat them. It is important that we continue to rule over those who cannot rule themselves, who are weak, and that we let all of those have the freedom to choose to be ruled and to reward them for their subservience. And he nods at you. He goes, yes, that is absolutely correct. That is the code of a conqueror. And he holds out a flame in his hand. It's a small spark, and he motions for you to come close and touch the flame. I do so. As you hold out your hand, your index finger touches it first in your gauntleted hand. I would assume it would be your crimson gauntlet. As it touches the flame, the flame swirls around your finger, goes around your arm, and you have an inferno swirling around you. It seems like your armor takes on a new fiery quality to it, like a crackling bonfire. And he says to you, Asmodai, you have upheld my code. You've done your best to conquer, and I see within you a great ambition to take what is yours. Along your journey, I shall help. Here is my blessing. And he gives you what is called Body of Fire. You gain the ability to shapeshift as if you're a druid. However, the only form you can take is that of a fire elemental. This lasts until you end it. And you must complete a long rest before you use this ability again. So at any time, if you want to use it, as if you uh, were using a druid uh, wild shape, you can transform into a fucking fire elemental. You feel your passion, your ambition, your burning desire manifest. 
If you were to close your eyes, you'd just see an endless inferno that's pounded by hammer and anvil into a monstrosity, a weapon at your disposal. He asks you, Asmodai, what will you do now? Well, I was in the middle of a chase when you called me here, so I'm going to complete that and then we'll go from there. Please, when you skin that damn cat, make a nice rock. And he pats you on the shoulder. Blinding white light, then you're on the ground and your eyes are just staring far off. Uh, we uh, transition like uh, black and we see a, 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 the camera has extreme close-up to frayed black rope. With the light of the many-eyed moon highlighting its edges, we hear it groan and watch it sway in and out of frame. The scene slowly goes down, falling the rope till the face of Sadier takes up the entire screen. His eyes permanently open after death as his gloss-glazed eyes stare at us. The camera slowly reels back, revealing his bo entire body. We see carved into his chest the name Dust as he sways even more, as we see his severed hand coated in now dried and brownish blood nailed to a white birch tree behind him. The ruins of a building around this lo lonesome tree is echoed with the cries of children playing in the barren wreckage. The echoes are drowned out by splashes of shoes and boots on black puddles as we see legs of many commoners walking in and out of frame. The smell of smoke is overwhelming, causing one or two people to cough. The scene pivots to the left and we see a crowd of fearful citizens flocking around a purple dragonborn with a bleach-white face and equally white robes with the golden crest of an Ouroboros. The nobles have forsaken Nahash. Do not blind yourself to the illusions of freedom that they say they give to you. No, you are but slaves and your shackles are the taxes that kills each and every one of us. Half the dragonborn's face naturally droops as he preaches. His outline glows from the blue flames of a distant Diamond estate, as well as darken his body and features. Ask yourself, why is Ricardo the Butcher in the Coliseum? His hands and arms fully splayed like an eagle as he continues. Why couldn't he afford the new tax increases? Even while his wife and two sons ate twice a week, he was a model citizen, paid his taxes on time. But now, after three weeks, well, you heard how the lion tore his drug jugular. And what about Arthur, the librarian? Why did he go to the Coliseum? That learned man was studying one day by the fountain and didn't pay his proper respects to Cowdenhoven, that gray dog. Ignoring his presence, he was thrown in the damn arena in Siam's name. Poor bastard never even got into a fight before. The Senticonda ripped him limb to limb, leaving only his spectacles behind. No longer does Siam the Blind Oaf control your lives tonight. Let him die with the upper class. Let them all fall to Lyavra's pit. And let their decadent beliefs follow them to the grave we spit upon. The crowd begins to grow in angry agreement. I, Gideon Irondrake, shall be the twin guiding lights of Nahash. We see the head of the flying leviathan like a mountain in the distance. Clouds wreathe around him like a demon with burning eyes of a golden light far behind Gideon. We see people in the crown become 
hysterical in agreement, and even some of the lighting of the torches, and other splitting, uh, splintering off to gather weapons from the now abandoned armory on soldiers pass, while a tall white cloaked figure watches the crowd from afar. The antlered figure carefully studies his prey. Each step he takes, embers and smoke rise from his footprints. The camera goes down to waist height as we see a young, blonde-haired girl in a yellow tattered dress hugging a doll with a cute bracelet that spells Miss Mary Sue. Right next to her is a boy with a split lip standing by her side as if he were a bodyguard. She says to him, It's going to be alright, right Alan? Things always turn out okay, even when the bad men are out. She looks at the boy and he can't bear to look at her. He only stares upward at the ruined estate atop the highest hill. He goes, yeah, yeah, everything will be alright. He lies. We see the purple dragonborn breathe an Empyrean fire onto the now lit torch as it burns a holy white flame. And we see a close up of his eyes, one yellow, the other a glossy blind bluish white. Let us make the Jade Hills into the Scorched Plains. We see the Gideon's left, a flag with the Diamond family heraldry, a bluish-white uh, diamond with sigils in its cuts, such as swords, staves, and uh, a crown dead center, with two fields, green and black. Embroidered on the flag are three unbreakable laws of Juliano. First law, offer tribute. Second law, the writer of this rule has free voice and free mind. Third law, give tribute. The flag burns with a holy white fire, showing the young boy and the girl as they now hold hands and the grip tightens. Then we cut to black. Uh, we see uh, the black cut and it goes to Asmodai as you're picking yourself off the ground and Leo as you're going into the crowd. So let's uh, uh, start off with uh, the chase. Uh, Asmodai, can you put down your uh, token near the state? Yeah. So the main idea, boys, is that at this point, you're going to have a crowd large enough, Leo, to be able to merge in and become part of the crowd because we have a mob that's going to be coming in here and raising this fucking place to the ground. So you follow? Your main goal is to get all the way down there, and I'll try my best to uh, describe what the scenery looks along the way to uh, make this uh, interesting. Alright, Iceman. And uh, give you uh, two forces. Basically, like, instead of having a shit ton of pieces around, I'll give you two forces to uh, play around with. Um, I'm going to say that, that this is going to be uh, like a patrol that was actually in the Jade Hills, and... To add to that, you mentioned that the the uh, guards are pretty untrained, and there was a building that just exploded. So I can't imagine they're yeah, yeah. That's why I'm saying like what you're seeing on the map is the surviving guards. Because if you guys remember correctly, uh, like over half of uh, the guard staff was killed uh, one night uh, during like a demon incursion, and then a uh, a lot. Uh, mainly, most of the rest died within that, like, estate exploding. Um, so I'm gonna say that there's probably around, like, probably 15 guards nowadays, if that, and that's just me giving out an arbitrary number. It's not enough to keep this town secure. Um, that reminds me, hang on, I gotta make one roll. Did I get? Nah. And, mm -hmm. holy fuck. <laughs> All right, 
That's awesome. So as uh, Asmodei gets up, we see uh, one crowd of uh, uh, guards. I would assume about like uh, maybe five, six of them outside, a couple of them talking to uh, the nobles while we have the main ones at the gate and uh, a few that's on patrol on uh, the wall. And all of them are stunned along with most of the nobles as well. They are looking at this scene like someone just killed their fam. Well, yeah, some in yeah, some cases, like some of them are looking at the building as their family have just died, and we hear crying, weeping, angry curses. But just for the first couple minutes, a stunned silence. Asmodei, you get up, you look at your target, who is now an orc, trying to uh, walk to the gates, and there are guards right next to him. Before we start up, we're going to have initiative on uh, all three. So a uh, roll for initiative. Holy fuck. You have a plus four to your initiative? Yeah, I got a uh, dex. You have an 18 in your dex? Or at least an 18 in your dex? I don't know. I'm going off of my D&D Beyond. All right. Uh, what did uh, Asmodei roll for initiative? Uh, 16. There's no way I was going before him anyway. Also, as a casual reminder, Bard. Yep, Bard. Oh, that's why. Yeah, I forgot Jack of all trades. Works on uh, initiative. Okay, so this is just going to work like regular combat. Each square is about uh, 10 feet, so you can work, or you can go three square, uh, squares at a time, and that includes uh, going, you know, adjacent to square. Unless I'm unfamiliar with rules of constantly going adjacent, that's fine. Uh, go right ahead, move uh, your character, uh, and tell me what he's doing. So at this point, this guard isn't hostile towards me, right? Uh, no, they're they're hostile because uh, if memory serves me right, uh, Asma died before the explosion says arrest that man. Yeah, and then before we ended last session too, I yelled that the orc is a changeling. Yep. And so, yeah, they're looking at you with uh, burn. Well, actually, I think the reason why they're stepped behind you is because. They didn't expect a terroristic attack, and in the six seconds, you know, obviously they're stunned. So I'm going to say after you move, they register what Asmodei said, snaps their head, and tries to, you know, go after you. Uh, Asmodei, you can control the soldiers if you want to take, like, unconventional routes or uh, try to organize a pincer, whatever you're trying to do. So, okay. yep. So, yeah, you, have, you should have control of the tokens. You can test it out. Um... Leo, describe what you're doing and how it's happening. Um, so what kind of armor are the guards wearing? Uh, they have, uh, I'm going to say like a half plate uh, because of all of the deaths and everything that's happened so far. That they're wearing half plate armor while uh, some of the Crimson Fists are mixed in with it, but there's not many. And... I would assume that they're wearing like a leather armor or something of the likes. But you can't tell, you, you honestly couldn't tell which one's which by looks alone. You could just easily assume that all of them are guards, but there's like a budget towards armor or some shit. Okay, I will, uh, I guess, use my dash to go yep. down the path. Mm -hmm. uh, go right ahead. Each square is 10 feet. Whoa, what the fuck? 10 feet, buddy. Each square. Yeah, so I get to move six squares, and then seven squares because I got 35 movement speed. Oh, yeah, holy fuck. Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. So I, I, 
Just because of how fucking fast you can go, um, I'm gonna move back the marker a little bit of where you need to go, sorry. I'm gonna say about right here to give it at least like a couple rounds before uh, shit goes haywire. Um, alright. Uh, Asmodai, uh, explain what, as uh, explain what your character is doing, how he's guiding these people, and how the soldiers are moving. Uh, this one's 12, this one's 13. Alright, oh, I'm, I'm going to shout, that orc is a bomber, he's a changeling, keep your eyes on him, and everyone out of my way. <laughs> and I am going to use my newfound blessing and transform in, into a fire elemental. Oh, God, yes. Which that would take, I'm assuming since it works like wild shape, it's going to take my action. Uh, I mutter a quiet prayer to myself, saying, Lord, help me to defeat this foe and to conquer this day in, in your name. And as I feel the heat course through me, I am going to begin to shape into almost a lava monster look as there's a bright flash of light and now there's a fire elemental and I am going to move my new movement speed, which is 50 feet. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to go right there, shield mm -hmm. in hand, uh, mm -hmm because my Warhammer is going to go back into my body. Uh, the moment that you uh, transform, we see, like, uh, the fire just whoosh onto, uh, like, the surrounding grass as you just fucking storm forward. Is it gliding? Is it stomping? Like, how is this fucker moving? Uh, he is kind of, He's more or less sort of gliding along yeah. the surface, but he's still walking. Uh, just fire elemental sort of hover yeah. in a way, though they don't have a hover speed. Yeah, so basically I want to imagine like a slight hover as you're just speeding across the ground, leaving a trail of fire like, uh, 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 uh you're, you leave a trail of fire like back to the future style, going into the, you know, future, and you just fucking storm forward. Nynx, you look behind you as an orc and you see a glow like there's a mob and it's not the actual mob that's downtown it is a fire elemental that is now chasing you uh did you already move uh the other pieces asmodai no yeah you can move the soldiers yeah. position them there yep and so, then do they yeah, do they ahead. just get one attack or is it like a couple of attacks since there's more than one yeah i'm gonna yeah that's what i'm gonna do i'm thinking like it's just going to be multi-attack and it's more than likely going to be a 1d6 and i'll say about three attacks and uh it'll have uh so this is for the first group okay uh let's see that's oh whoops i did d6s yeah uh let's see that's uh so the first one that's a 12 to hit on the first one attack from that group that's a 16 and a 15. Mm -hmm. 16 and 15? Yep. Leo? What? 16 you, and 15. You get spears thrown at you. One's a 12, one's a 16, one's a 15. Yeah, so two of them hit. Two of them hit. Okay. Well, that's fucking badass. So you take, uh, let's see, so that's 2d, uh, and then what are they adding? So plus one, so that's plus two. So you take eight points piercing damage from the first group as they hurl their spears at you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
so we're God, just imagining the scene. So like they're going down a, a slope that uh, basically curves on the side of a cliffside, going downward. We see uh, Nynx as an orc running down in fancy clothing. We see a fire elemental glowing uh, his clothes behind him. Then we see like three uh, spears. One hits the ground, two like hits his shoulder and body. And then the second group, all of them miss. Oh, no oh shit. wait, actually, wait, do they? Hold on. Yeah, no, they all miss. Yep. Yeah, then we see like uh, three more spears uh, come in, like right in front of you, Nynx. Uh, what do you do? You have soldiers behind you, a fire elemental behind you, and you have uh, a group of soldiers in front of you that are ready, are just thirsting for blood. Monio, quick run! Defend us! That fire monster destroyed the mansion. You know, if you said anything else, and if he was an elemental, that would have been a disadvantage. That's really, that's a really good lie. I mean, he's gonna pass a check. Yeah, I know, but I'm just trying to think how I want to actually do this. They um, would have seen me transform, or the, at least the top ones would have seen me transform. Yeah, the top. Also... Yeah, the top ones are fine. I'm talking about the the squadron down here. That's uh, that's really good. He said, but they saw spears like uh, hidden use well though. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell you what, at disadvantage, because there's spears thrown at you. Although it's a good lie, like you know, like. Uh, it's not that hard to see, like, spear, uh, spears uh, fucking embedded into you as you're running. But, uh... But also remember that this is chaos going on. Even the guards up mm-hmm. there don't really know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. They know to follow orders. Granted on yeah, the- but they're also not your men, all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, they- uh... Fallon gave me control, or he oh. told them to listen to me. Hmm. But again, I think the problem is that you're a fucking fire elemental now. But, uh, because hmm. you yelled, guards, like, uh, the guards up here, unquestioning loyalty, nothing's gonna work on them. The The problem I have here is that, you know, these guys were on patrol, they were at night, away from the mansion, they saw an explosion, now they're seeing a fire elemental, along with guards, trying to chase, like, some guy, so... that That's my kind of stipulation, so I'm going to say... Because you're going against a sense. Here's what I'm going to do, alright? Uh, try to give me a... It shouldn't be that hard for you, but uh, try to give me a 28. And if you do, like, uh, you're going to confuse them, but you can't order them to do anything. They're going to try to, like, analyze the situation until, you know... Uh, like so, I, I have to get a natural 20. Oh, is that so? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I thought I was... No. Yeah, uh, his, his maximum doesn't get increased. His minimum is just an 18. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think just medium difficulty DC. That'd be about 23, wouldn't it? 23, 24. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. No, I mean, an average roll is still like... Mm-hmm. 10. It's it's like yeah, your average uh, roll would always be 18 10. 18, because that means half of what I roll will be an 18. No matter but what. you get 18 automatically. Yeah, but still it's a 50% Yeah, that's half his odds, yeah. Yeah, he is right. Well, no, it's 100% of his odds is 18. Over 18, but a 50% yep. chance to get 18. Mm-hmm. So, you you are right. And, uh, because, yeah. well, yeah, because it's going to be 100%, so 19. I'm going to say 19 DC then. 19 DC, you basically uh, force them not to make a turn until, like, their next turn. That, that's the best I can do. You're not going to move them. 
They're just going to stand there confused and take a couple seconds to take in the situation. Sound fair? Yeah, I got a 22. <laughs> uh, all right. And okay. What does, what does that count as? Because is, is it skill check and used to say we get one free one? I don't to know if it's an persuade action. someone or to do any skill check with on your turn is an action. But previously we've established that he lets us do skill checks as not an action, so I want to clarify. Because mm-hmm. in, in this case, if it is his, like, well, yeah. Because he's shouting and trying to persuade them. That yeah. counts as an action. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say just for this kind of scenario, since this is the first time we did a chase, I'm going to say, like, the effort you put into, like, a confusing guards will count as uh, one Standard, or not standard action. Basically, like, a, you still have a movement, but I will take away your action for this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Alright. Uh, Asmodai is now your turn. Uh, these guys right here, they'll be set straight on to uh, their next turn. Okie dokie. Yep. Yep, so uh, we see Nyx uh, flailing his arms with spears inside of his back, saying there's a fire elemental. And we see, like, the guards just raise an eyebrow, like, slowly, like, mumbling to each other, like, what the hell is happening? And we see uh, Nyx reach the bottom of the hill along with the fire elemental who's going to do uh, what now? Uh, He's going to action dash, Uh which gives me 100 feet of movement. Whoa! And I will go there. Holy fuck! Uh, And... I'll say, though no one can understand me because I can only speak in Ignan, uh, I've got you now, but it's going to come out as. That is badass. Can you tell me, like, how that, like, fast movement looks? Is that. Uh, that's it, awesome. It's basically like a flicker of fire as he just glides along the ground very efficiently. That's going to put him there. I don't think I've got anything to do with my bonus action. As a note, Leo does understand you because he speaks primordial. Uh, it's Igna. Yeah, primordial. You speak Ignan. So there's a, primordial is really weird. Hmm. It's it's basically like saying I speak Latin, but then all of the different elemental languages are like Latin base languages. Okay, so yeah. Okay, that's cool. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was an overarching, like, umbrella. That's pretty fucking awesome. Alright, so, what what did you say? Oh, okay, so you said, like, I got you now, Leo. Comes out as that, and he is able to understand you. Uh, let's see. Oh. oh, that's right. I can just move through you and cause you to take damage. So, yeah, I, I you basically feel yourself bathed in fire, uh, and you take... Let's see. Uh, it enters a creature's space on a turn. The creature takes 1d10 and catches fire. And then you take 1d10 fire damage at the start of each of your turns. Okay. Uh, so so you take two. 9 points of fire damage there, Leo. Is that enough to down you? And now you're on fire. Uh, not yet, but basically my next turn, I'll, depending on what I roll. You, you do have an option. It's risky, but you do have an option, because there's a huge body of water next to you, but it's a nice fall. Yeah, but I take the damage at the start of my next turn, so Mm -hmm. I have to roll a four or lower, basically. And then, so these guards are going to move up. Mm -hmm. 
that's one, two, and that's three squares. Yeah. Uh, and then they're going to make their attacks. Okay. So that's... Uh, that's one hit. So, And that's minimum damage, so two Whoa! damage from that spear. Holy shit! Uh, yeah, but it's really, it's really slimming down for him, though. Yeah, I mean, fighting a yeah. CR5 monster on my mm -hmm. own isn't really ideal. Nope. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, you go down, and we hear a nice plump. And... God, that's just an awesome cinematic, too. We see, like, the crackling fire of what looks to be, like, just a demon incarnate just looming over you as we have guards. You're out of combat. You can do what you want, Iceman. Well, the the timing on this matters because uh, <laughs> I am going to basically do my best to come out of the wild shape, which I think takes a bonus action, right, Mega? Um, I'm actually double checking that as we speak because that's normally the case for uh, the druid that normally gets to turn into an elemental, uh, but they get special rules anyway. Uh, oh, I'm just going by the since he said it's a wild shape, that's all I was looking at, hmm. but it doesn't matter. Um, whether or not that takes an action or bonus action, I'm immediately going to try and pad out the flames. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, as you do that, like, uh, we see, like, your black armor, your crimson hand, and your, like, your your hair go from fire back to its regular shape. And yes. you see Leo on the ground, yep, burning. And I'm going to just pat him out as best I can very quickly before yep. the body turns to ash. Yeah. All right, uh, every druid can revert as a bonus action. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so bonus action. Yeah, so that's like in a matter of less than six seconds, so it's fairly quickly, thankfully. Mm -hmm. um, and I start panning out the flames. I'm going to look at the other guards and be like, this is the man who is responsible for blowing up the palace. Mm -hmm. uh, and now that he's unconscious, does he revert or begin to revert? No. That was an actual question that me and Leo actually had to go through during your escape from uh, the pirate ship because he did go unconscious, and I we had to like stop the game for a little bit as I did a little research. He's he stays there until he's dead. Okay, I'll say this man is a changeling and needs to be. I don't know. I really want to kill him, mm. but he also has accomplices. Mm. Fallon is dead. As far as I know, Amos is dead, as far as I know. The Earl is dead, as far as I know. They were all inside. The only reason I am alive, and I'm saying this to the guards that are approaching mm -hmm. as well, the only reason I'm alive is I was chasing him as he was leaving, because mm -hmm. I smelled something fishy. Mm -hmm. And I'm <laughs> going to bind him. I actually have some manacles yeah. uh, <laughs> that I bought for just in case something like this happened. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to bind his hands, and then I'm going to take some rope and tie his feet. Yep. To say, he might die, he might not. I leave that up to the gods. Mm -hmm. And uh, you do exactly that. You're given the rope you need and all the tools, and now you have Leo now tied up and captured. Uh, he is alive. I assume that you do medical attention, but not enough to bring him back. No, no, I don't no? touch him. 
Okay. Uh, he, either he's gonna fail his death saves or he's not. I'm not doing. I'm not going to allow anyone. As I said, it's up to the gods whether or not he lives or dies. All right, Leo. Uh, your death saves. It should be uh, plus one for each one. First is nat twenty. That's two successes. Yeah. Actually, no. Uh, a nat twenty, I believe, brings you up to one. It's oh yeah. Automatic no, success uh, and brings you up sure? to one. Because I thought it was That's just two normal successes. roll. Okay. Well, never mind. And then the moment so, yeah, I hear ahead. him breathing again, I'm going to take my hammer and hit, bonk him on the head and knock him out. <laughs> the gods are cruel. <laughs> That's non-lethal yeah. damage, by the way, so yeah, that's, it that's just fine. knocks him out. You do. So he comes back up, gives you a look. Uh, Leo, do you say anything before he knocks you out? I'll spit. Okay, you spit on him. Boom! And you just go under again. Yep. And, <sighs> wow, that was actually really cool. Thank you. Uh, that, that was a decent idea, I Sorry, John, that the like everything was stacked against you, but this is a result of your actions. <laughs> so... What, what I want to do after that is that, you know, he just bonks uh, Leo on the head and everything goes black like, uh, you know, he was knocked out and stuff. And we'll leave it up to Asmundi where uh, Leo gets taken after that. Um, uh, as the estate burns, like, uh, we see that the blue flames uh, lick the building. And as it keeps eating away at the estate we see that a castle is slowly being formed in its place, a clockwork castle. And it looks like instead of having regular uh, texture of stone and granites and metal, it all seems to be watercolor as it slowly forms. And we see the ticking of clockwork echo throughout reality. This is the palace that you guys seen in the Unseen Public that has invaded our reality. And before I start, Asmundi, uh, is there anything else you want to do throughout the night? Or are you just going to say, like, your character tried to mitigate, like, uh, the oncoming damages of a mob and uh, the, the rest of... Uh, I mean, mitigate and try to stop because I'm going to get to the front of the mob, see them incoming, specifically yep. if they're coming to the palace. I'm going to hit my... Ch my uh, I'm going to use my necrotic shroud, which yep. basically turns me into a sort of very scary-looking angel. Uh, yep. As my eyes glow, these black, sort of skeletal, almost-looking wings come out, and I will shout with a sort of distorted almost voice and say you will turn back and go to your homes no one wants bloodshed but it will happen if you continue and when I hit necrotic shroud all creatures within 30 feet I believe yep. it's 30 feet uh, have to make a wisdom saver be feared okay um, I, I guess I'll do, like, uh, three little saves. Like, one for the general mob, one for Gideon, who's, uh, leading the charge, and we'll say, like, uh, for the cultists as well, like, mixed into the crowd, that's what you can try to spur them on. And we'll say no bonuses, just straight rolls. Anyone pass? We got 13, all pass. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. I think, uh, Gideon's passionate speech 
was enough to uh, keep them moving forward. Oh, the so ringleader? Uh, Gideon. Uh, he is uh, the ring uh, ringleader, but he's mixed within the mob. But not, not leading the front, but, you know, like, encouraging as people are going on. I mean, is he obvious who he is? If he's shouting and trying to basically countermand and inspire and spur the people? Uh, you know what? Sure, I think that's more than enough. I think uh, we have Gideon Iron Drake, just like his bleach white face. You can easily tell him apart. He's disfigured as he's uh, telling people to uh, go on. Put a javelin through his head. Okay. Uh, give me a second to pull up his sheet. And I say a little prayer as I take aim. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and say, Lord, yes, allow me to strike true to kill this usurper who is trying to challenge my authority. <laughs> of course it misses. I just don't tell me what the number is. I'm angry. Yeah, just... Hang on, I, uh, because, uh, depending on what I find, it could be something, uh, right now I'm just uh, scanning through my shit really quick, see what's appropriate. Um, that scene, yeah, 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 that, you know what, that actually fits. Okay. I'm sorry, my, uh, internet's being a little slow. I have it online. Alright, right, uh, tell me, uh, how much you hit for? It's um, gonna be a miss, it was an eight. Oh, it's fucking eight, yeah, it you uh, see him um, go uh, like uh, God. How the hell would I even miss? Uh, I assume it wasn't that yeah. far. Off. Yeah, <laughs> I assume it wasn't that far off. But you probably missed him by a foot or two, and, and uh, he then just, hit someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, sure. Oh, uh, you kill like uh, say civilian. I'm gonna say that it was probably like uh, the orc woman from uh, the end also many episodes ago it pierces her right through the heart and you hear the crowd gasp as that was probably like one of their favorite citizens that was a warning shot if you want to continue more will follow i do not want to shed blood but this is what is going to happen for the sake of order i know we are all scared right now but more fear is not going to help so please go back to your homes and remain calm and there will be plenty of people that will come to assist you it may not be the government but you will be helped you will be cared for you have my word and i will raise my crimson gauntlet into the sky <laughs> we will be your shepherds and your protectors not this charlatan right. and and uh you see that uh gideon Tell, like, uh, looks at the crowd and uh, says, What kind of protection can this man even uh, give? Look at the state, it's burning! And we see, like, uh, the crackles, and now he looks confused as now there is a castle in its place. And he looks, <laughs> and uh, he looks at the crowd and says, He has killed one of our own! He doesn't care about us! He cares about his own safety! Let us move. He may stop some of us. He may stop most of us, but he cannot stop all of us. But I and... can kill you, yeah, and I and... will. <laughs> I am not. This is not going. I have nothing against you people. Him, yes. I do not want to hurt any of you. I just want order. 
and peace in this tumultuous time. He is the one inspiring you to bloodshed. <laughs> and he will die for it. Mm-hmm. And I guess... How, how does he want to do this? Is he going to have a combat, or is he going to try talking through this? Um... I mean, the most appropriate thing would probably be contested either persuasion and intimidation. Because mm-hmm. there would, I don't know how many guards are with me. I imagine a few at least, hopefully yeah. like ten. But yeah, uh, wow. he's. I don't know how big the crowd is. He can, it's it, it it's you got like at least like fifty two hundred people behind. Like it's, yeah, yeah. Basically, from an explosion, everyone went outside, got curious. He spurred them on. They're all they all have weapons. They're just not proficient with it. It's basically like a classic, you know. A Salem witch trial mob with porch, uh, you know, pitchforks and you know, like poorly made swords, all that. He, he's just got like the peasants behind him, and I guess he would. Fuck it. Um, this thing would probably be contested rolls because at that point, hmm. it it would just devolve into yeah. a lot of dead bodies. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say just to uh, like show a little bit of his uh, class. I finally found it. Uh, there's like shadow that like uh, comes from his uh, sleeves as he gets more and more angry. And I guess we'll do contested roll. Um, I, I assume you're doing intimidation. And uh, you know, what what would I do against that? Uh, persuasion just for you to move aside. Uh, I mean, it could either because at this point we're not really persuading each other. Yeah. We're, we're intimidating and persuading the crowd. Okay. So he could either persuade the crowd or intimidate the crowd. Okay. Yeah, he's going to try to persuade the crowd. That's uh, the angle he's going from. All right. Uh, make a roll. I'll make mine. Yeah, I got an 18. How hell did he roll? Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. The no. first thing yeah, rolled there was yeah, seven. seven. So. No. Uh, the, I think uh, the crowd like begins to lose faith as a couple of them start to uh, splinter off. It seems like uh, you have the momentum of this. Uh, let's see, what else do I want to do? <laughs> and I'm going to say what shortly falls after that is a fire starting like uh, in the blighted slums. And people look panicked and uh, like rush over to it to uh, try to put out the fire. I'm gonna say like there's a few diehards with them, but uh, give, uh, Gideon gives you a nasty look as you're the blockade to uh, what he wants to achieve. Just give a, a very theatrical bow. So that's a good moment to leave on. Uh, he fucking uh, stands stalwart in front of Gideon, and Gideon just gives him a nasty look with his drooping pale white face, and he turns tail, walks away, and we cut from that, and we see a montage of the week. Um, we we see, like, uh, Solomon angry, uh, has like, uh, uh, he has, like, a few, like, gang members tied up and shit, like, uh, we see a wild ones, a clear water, sailing, uh, person and he like just busts their kneecaps with a cane angrily like a jackal from jackal and hide just like beating them to death and after he breaks the legs he questions them and we see the silent scene end with him just going up to somebody else whispering in their ear and we see him draw a sword and walk into the room and it's followed by blood painting the walls 
Um, we see a lot of montages throughout the weeks. We see like uh, the brewery in town go out of business and come back up into the business as the owner walks like a beggar on the streets. We uh, see a graveyard for uh, many different. Uh, we, we see a graveyard for uh, many different. Uh, 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 Crimson Fist guards everyone lost in that tragic night, including the nobles. We uh, see Solomon giving a speech in front of like Asmodai, Yorick, and Raymond, his three lieutenants, his three capos. Next, we see uh, Oran Shelley, the skeleton, just uh, writing uh, many different uh, pieces of paper and he folds them up, turns into butterfly, and it looks like a beautiful... It, it looks like a beautiful migration of butterflies going into the sky, and we see each butterfly go in different kingdoms, different nobles, talking about the event that unfolded on that fateful night. Um, just before I forget, Iceman, what do you do with Leo? Uh, he's just in guard's uh, hands, right? Uh, no. I personally deliver him... Uh, to Solomon? No, to someone who... No, actually, yeah. I'm going to keep him, and then we're going to make... We're going to do a power play with him later. Oh, yeah, that's going to be fun. That's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Um, that's uh, fine. So, uh, again, what, yeah, what you missed off, if you can uh, hear me, Iceman, is uh, you, you were seen at a funeral with uh, Solomon as uh, you guys look over your dead soldiers, nobles, in the graveyard. Um... We see Oran Shelley who wrote those notes and sent it off uh, news all around the world. Uh, then we see... Um, da, 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 da. Um, we see uh, the cobblestone streets in one, uh, 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 one of uh, the scenes that unfolds throughout the week. As the cobblestone streets are dyed scarlet, we see side profile of a man with a stitched mouth. Well, one Leo would recognize as one that fed the dragon. In, real in our reality, with his hunchback, he's pushing a rickety wooden cart. Stopping, the man picks up a small figure, puts it into the cart. There's a thin wrist with a cube bracelet that spells out Mary Sue, while the cart runs over the muddy and fluff-exposed doll. Each day in Drogueport, there's always a fight between sides, gang versus gang, warfare, or poor versus rich. Everyone is keeping a river blood flowing fresh. Uh... Other than that... Oh, sorry, there's one more thing that happened in that week. Sorry. It was uh, super important, too. Uh, we uh, see the shadows of people inside of a big house in the cobblestone streets of a blighted slums. The camera zooms in through the glass, and we refract off the glass window to a wide lens shot of everyone in the room, celebrating the crumbling Diamond Estate. A large mark is carved into the arc above the doorway. Two overlapping outlines of cards form blocky, uh, blocky heart. One similar to the one that uh, Dust received his magic items after his orphans died. Sounds of croaking coincide with cheers of revelry inside the purple lit room as tiny caged soul gutter frogs with bright white insects caught inside of its inflated gullet axe in place of torches and regular lanterns. Uh, again, miniature, uh, like, version of the frog that chased the boys all so many episodes ago. A banner of Delgar, the draconic guardian of the, uh, of Drogue Port, flutters from the draft in the, uh, in the room. 
its sigil is a multicolored dragon with the body of a sword and wings of sheathed arrows with a smoke rib- ribbon spewing around its mouth and hovering uh, behind its neck. Below the banner are two flags burnt and stepped on. The first is a sigil of a golden tentacled sun on a white field. The sun represents the god of magic and sin, Siam, while the white represents the flying leviathan in the sky, Nahash. The second is a diamond heraldry of the now-fallen Diamond family. We see revolutionaries around the table, all with pitch-black dyed fingers, but their uh, respective skin for their hands. The Sisterhood, founded by wives and nobles and exiled for their eccentric views, now they welcome, they welcome everyone with the same view for change. Men, women, fae, dwarves, tieflings, everyone is welcome in the Sisterhood. The camera focuses on a round table full of tankards hitting one another with slushing honeymead. Around the table is the lieutenant of the Sisterhood, Heather, a ponytailed brunette with a scar across her cheek and cracked leather armor. She drinks from her tankard and giant gulps. Next to her is an orc missing his tusks and a pinky with a simple chest plate made from melted pots and pans. He seldom drinks from a tank, uh, his tankard. Nervously looking around, finally, there's a thin tiefling with pink skin, nub horns, and he cracks jokes like here and there, favoring the honey mead. We listen into the conversation. The first thing we hear from anyone is the tiefling, as he says, Then the whore doesn't bat an eye at the cuck and says, By all means! The tiefling pats the table, laughing at his own joke and making Heather spray some mead from her mouth. Damn it all! Wiping her chin, flicking the mead from her leather. Jackal, I told you, save the punchline till after I down my drink. And then the tiefling looks at her and says, Delgar, bring mercy on this one. What drink is left after you touch it? Besides, if I had to wait for your majesty every time I wanted to jest, it wouldn't be one for the rest of my life. The pink tiefling, Jackal, leans back, feet on table as he nurses his tankard. And we hear from the orc, I think that would be best. The orc mutters, eyes darting around the room, where many civilians who supported the sisterhood with clean fingers danced, locking elbows with one another, um, enjoying the merriment of what happened. And we see uh, the tiefling as he says, What's been rubbing you wrong, Gorin? You've been acting like you had one night stand with Uncle Jenkins' chicken. And Jackal pounds the side of his leaning chair and chuckle again, followed by uh, the sound of mead spraying again. Damn it all! Heather flicks more mead from her armor. What did I just say? She eyes down the tiefling and gives a concerned look to Gorin. He is right. Well, everything besides the chicken. You've been acting rather squeamish as of late. And we see the orc as he starts to scratch at his skin. And he says, the eyes. They, I, I feel them, watching, waiting. He strums his fingers along the table, shifting his head back and forth. We hear in the background one of the men say to another, Anyone know why the back door's locked? Nature's calling for a river. While initiate of the sisterhood, black fingers and all, says, I'll help you. Probably just too drunk and not sure which way to turn it off. And we go back to uh, the table, and we see the tiefling look, accusing uh, has an accusing stare at the orc and says, Gorin, you ain't on stone needle now, are you? And Jackal uh, furrows his brow 
Show us your teeth. The orc grunts as he quickly complies, gritting his teeth for both them to see. See the woman with a scar on her face. Jackal, don't be accusing him now. We, we'd know if he was on Stone Needle. He hasn't lost any memories yet, and his teeth are still white. They ain't stone. Heather reprimands, tankered close to her lips. Well then, what the hell's bothering you? Jackal takes his feet off the table, leans forward, resting his elbows on the table. I keep seeing... Uh... Hells, how do I even describe the fucker? It's large, cloaked in white, with antlers on it. Whenever I catch a whiff of the damn thing, it vanishes. But I know it's following me. It's always watching me. We see a close-up of Goran's eyes as he has bags underneath them, and he's just exhausted and tired. Then we hear Jackal's nails scrape across the wood. Eyes widen. You, you bloody oaf! Why didn't you tell us sooner? Jackal, what's going on? What are you going on about? Heather, strangely enough, places her tankyard on the table. Then we see Tiefling get increasingly aggravated. The dumbass is talking about the Beast of the Inquisition. The bloody fool has been marked. His chair screeches as he stands up. We have to get out of here before... Then we hear the same men in the background about a locked door interrupt Jackal, asking Heather, Hey, Lieutenant, do you have a key to the back door? Damn thing won't budge. Then, then Heather, as her brow furrows and all the background noise begins to die in her head as she quietly says, none of the doors have locks. We cut to a quick outsider, uh, outsider's perspective of the door, where crates are stacked and lined in front of the door with the shadow of a huge creature with antlers walking out of frame. We cut back to pink skin tiefling as he pales. Eyes darting to the window, each window boarded up during the party, going unnoticed. Finally, his eyes rest, uh, rest on the door. Heather follows his gaze and says in a slow and still quiet tone, Gorham, Jackal, go around and tell everyone to grab arms, even the civilians. They both nod, slowly stepping away, casually mentioning it to everyone in passing, making them pretend like nothing's wrong. The atmosphere slowly morphs from laughter and joy to forced chuckles and fake merriment. Everyone is staring at the front door as Jackal and Gorham grab axes and start chop at the door. At that very moment, the boys chop against the black door. We hear the front door as well. It bangs in a splinter. The second slam shatters the front door, leaving pieces of wood here and there. John, what does your character look like? Um, as is flowing white a white cloak underneath you can hear the clanking of heavy armor as two large antlers poke out from under the hood on the inside you can see his eyes glowing as there's a mark over one eye that stretches from his eye to his ear that smells faintly of a campfire mm -hmm. and we see him walking in he's eight feet and we see an embroidery of a tentacled sun on that cloak with a battle axe wrapped in silk. John, what does he say? The hunt is over. Each step the beast takes brands the ground with a hungry ember. The orc hearing the voice from afar begins to panic. As his heart begins to pound out of his chest, he slams the door hard. Heather plants the tip of her sword in the ground asking, who are you? What does he say next? Rejoice as your sins are burnt away. He ignores her as his burning footsteps spread into a wildfire. 
the flames lick the banner of Delgar and surround everyone in the room. I demand that you put out these fires, you beast. Her sword now pointed at the large, white-cloaked creature, lest I make you into a rug. Bonfire is cast. A rush of flames burst from the front door at the very mention of putting out the righteous flames. Uh, this act marks the start of an inferno and the ends of their lives. How's he finish it? They see him's warm embrace cleanse you. He finishes his prayer, slowly grabbing his battle axe and unwrapping it, the flames ignoring his clothes and silk. The beast pulls back his hood. We see the head of a grizzly bear with the antlers, the tattoos. Everything's become more clear. The mark is horrifying. And he says his last words to them. The joy of the hunt is over. Now we purify. We zoom out to see the entire building engulfed with flames and smoke as the crumbling cinder that was once wood reveals the silhouette of a beast killing each person with a single slash. The scene ends with a close-up of the smoke through the opening. We see two burning eyes through the smoke that are lit like coal, as well as tattoo that shows the shadowed half-face of a bear with an unsettling smile. Alright. Well, I guess we should mention something else, shouldn't we? Uh, we hear the chirping of birds for another scene as we see, like, a, a small figure walking down the cobble street roads, or at least his shadow. It's not very tall. We see a man playing chess with an apple cap and suspenders. He was one of the nobles of uh, the area, now fallen, since his parents' death and property was reposed or repossessed, and we see him playing, and this creature walks up. He gives it a nasty eye as he sees it, and says, I'm sorry, don't play with whoever the hell you are, and continues just to play a game of chess by himself. I have to ask, Cobalt, oh, Cobalt, Mega, what does your character look like? So you will see a five foot, uh, blue jay figure mm -hmm. uh, their feathers are uh, a sky blue uh, accented with uh, black stripe especially along the neck area and uh, and white along the belly and uh, he is dressed in a what well, we might say like a complementarily colored um, moss green uh, long coat of sorts um, tied together at the front a bit um, with uh, with sort of like a, uh, a brown accent and mm. and at least uh, presently is wearing a glove over his right hand and is just and with that same hand is just uh, sort of like rubbing the underside of his beak like pondering the man's uh, comment at him mm -hmm. uh, what do you say back well, now, that's not very sportsmanlike. Not even a single game. And he just starts to chuckle. You monsters? Beasts, yeah. You beasts tend to have a small nut instead of a brain. I don't really want to waste the time to teach you how to play just to beat you. Simple. Oh, I know how to play. Although, as he just raised his finger, perhaps... A modified version of the game, if you'd be interested. 
And do you see you catch his eye? And he says, hmm, there's a little bit more than a nut in that head of yours. I'm interested. Sit. Tell me. And he just stares at you. Oh, it's really quite simple. As he sort of like, uh, like fluffs his tail up a bit to allow himself to sit uh, properly and just looks him over. Each of us gets to play with our own modified rule. An advantage, if you will. We get to pick our own, even. Hmm. Hmm. He uh, just, you know, goes along with it and says, What rule do you have in mind to modify? Well, that's the beauty of it. We get to pick it ourselves. I think for myself, as he just ponders for a moment, I think this time, I think I will only just double my time as he as he pulls out his own uh you know the kind of like clock you see at like uh, at chess tournaments um yeah as he just like lays out the clock before him mm -hmm. uh, he looks at the clock and goes hmm. i can't say a long game is too interesting you got a little bit more spice you can add to it i could play with any beast and take all day with the damn uh damn creature and he's just like tapping his king onto uh, the chessboard well, if it's a quick game you're looking for, then I could choose your advantage for you. Go right ahead. I'm also curious. And with that, uh, he takes a look at the chessboard, plucks one of his pawns, and places a queen in its place. Mm -hmm. That should do it, I think. And he gives you a smile. Modify the rules all you want. Now, what do I get if I win? And he gives you a crooked smile. You just kind of like looks him up and down. Well, I imagine that you probably don't want anything in my possession, but mm -hmm. to keep the game interesting only for you, I think maybe servitude is just as well fine enough. And he taps his foot a little bit and gives you a chuckle and goes, oh, I've been looking forward to a new slave. Something new to beat. Alright. What do you get if you win? Well, word on the street is you're part of a very interesting group. And he nods along and says, King's Gambit, you've heard of it. So, I have, and I would like an invitation. And he goes, you're on. And we see the pawn slam onto the table, and we see the game unfold as, uh, what was it, extended times for both sides, but he gets a, a queen, or is it half times? Um, it in this case, the advantage uh, he has given himself is that he has doubled his own time, and the yep. advantage that the other one has been given is he gets to replace uh, one of his pe one of his pawns with a queen yep. in its place. Yep. Now we see the match go along, and uh, if we were to look at the J blue creature, uh, we see in the background leaves forming. Or, like, uh, taking the form of a fox with many tails watching him. But at any time someone tries to look at it, it just looks like regular leaves. You can only see it from your peripheral. As the game's going on, and he tries to use his queen, which should be advantageous to him, what happens, Mega? Yeah, notably, like, uh, partway through the game, as... Uh, as since, you know, in a typical game of chess, like, uh, even if your queen is in the pawn's position from the start, like, it, no matter where you put it to take a piece, it's mm -hmm. going to be taken. Yeah. Uh, but, um, 
but at a more advantageous point in the game, he starts to move it in a place where he thinks he's about to uh, uh, put the king in check, or even checkmate, but, but suddenly, in the briefest of moments, as he is removing his hand uh, from the queen's piece, the queen has moved to a different location on the board. Yeah. And as he, as he does that, he keeps thinking, why did I put it there? And nothing's clicking with him. That, that was his own decision. It's just, whenever he tries to use this advantage, he, he wastes it. Uh, can you describe the effect for me, Mega? Yeah, it's just like, and, and even for, and this would be just out of, out of view, uh, but, uh, just like underneath the glove in his right hand, look like, it just glows a bit softly as, uh, as like, it's almost like a, sort of like a distortion effect, where it's just like, it's almost feels as though, like, reality splits for just a moment, and then when it reconnects, the new image appears, and the queen is in a new place. Yes, kind of like a glitch in a video game. It, 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 he's doing a motion, then it suddenly switches, and he, he's none the wiser. It's, it was his decision. He's one who did it, but he just can't remember why. He can see like the better solutions, but the game moves forward, and we end with oh, your uh, character Mega saying the legendary words of chess. What does he say to his opponent? As he just uh, places the piece. Checkmate. Yep. And he looks down and goes, no, no, that doesn't, 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 doesn't make sense. And he fucking just uh, puts his arm down, sweeps the board, and he looks at, a, I would say, an orc nearby, tells him to pick him up, resets up the board, and he says again. So we could play over and over and over, but nothing can change the fact that you lost that game. And he just has bloodshot eyes and says, again. <laughs> Very well, then. Now I want to ask, how many times do you replay him? I just, <laughs> I just want to know. He'll play, it's like we'll play one more time, but yeah. double or nothing. Mm -hmm. And he goes, absolutely. And you become and my servant for a time mm -hmm. and he just gives you a grin you're on and again we cut to black we see the board moved again and mega what does he say and i do believe that is checkmate again yep and you put it down he looks sullen and he's put his hands on his face shaking his head and checkmate just echoes as we see uh, this character, this bird-like creature going against multiple opponents of a uh, different ranking. Uh, each one, like, having a uh, hat that represents their rank. The man that he first fought was a pawn with just an apple's cap. Then uh, he fights a person with a knight's helmet on that he wears during the game, beats him. The guy pulls his sword, ready to kill himself, and... What does your character do, Mega? Yeah, it's like uh, he takes his hand and puts it to his wrist. Now, now, come now. I'm sure there's a brain behind that pretty face of yours. Mm -hmm. Don't waste and, it. Yep, he's and he just says it is law, and he again tries to like point the sword at his stomach, ready to kill himself for losing a game against you. And uh, is there any ability you'd like to show off? 
uh, he is going to say, drop. And that's it. He drops it. Goes to the ground. Any kind of effect you want to uh, describe with that? So, uh, he kind of says it with like a a figurative and literal commanding voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And As it, it kind of not. even echoes a bit outside and even in his own mind yeah. and compels him to to drop. And this keeps repeating. Like you go from uh, the knight to the bishop. No queen, strangely enough, but there are two kings. And right now you are fighting for the black side. You go against the king and we see basically like a jagged thorn kind of... Uh, crown similar to uh, Skyrim's jagged thorn crown. We see both of them at the table ready to start a game. What's your parting words, Mega, before we exit the scene? He would say, uh, I hope you're more interesting than the last few. And he just scoffs at you as we hear the doors moan as they close in front of our view and screen turns black. And we move on to our last one. We see the black slowly introduce ribbons of light onto uh, what we can see. Then detail starts to glow from it, such as a silk curtain bed with the shadow of a person resting inside of it. We hear pain gasps for air resonate uh, inside of that bed. And you hear... <gasps> and outside, we see a fat man with a cyst as he paces in front of the uh, room, repeating, Damn it all! Damn it all! And he keeps going back and forth, back and forth, until we hear a knock at the door that snaps his focus. And he says, Oh, pray see him! And he does a fast walk to the door, and behind it we see a gnome and a white cloaked figure guarding the door with antlers and he says uh, Mr. Springblade come in come in and he looks at uh, uh, the cloaked figure and he gives him the same motion come in come in all right what does a gnome look like cupcake the gnome standing at about three feet tall dressed very well and holds himself very proper he has short brown hair with a tanned olive skin and has a great big smile on his face. No uh, deviousness behind it. Mm -hmm. And you do have a note in your hand, and it looks like it was written by David in search of an inventor to make an invention. And he looks on your back, and he sees... <laughs> uh, do you have it covered? Uh, what, what, what does it look like? Like, uh, how are you carrying this thing? So it is straddled on my back, not covered, still... A little bit frozen mm -hmm. yeah and i think what's keeping it frozen is that like um you have a special cloth underneath it and it's just been like keeping it you know like at a cold temperature uh and the thing's still producing air it's just not exactly beating if you know what i mean it's like the last buffets of air coming out of the heart uh you enter the antechamber as a feverish fat man, David Galantano uh, guides you before a room. The place smells like a library, and there's countless books that have an like, uh, ancient odor to it. And he looks at the white-cloaked figure and says, uh, 
How how's it look so far? I know they've kept up uh, security in the Jade Hills, but we have been hearing quite a number of things at night. What does he say, John? I mean, what do I know? There's been riots, gang warfare, blood on the streets. It's as bad as it can get, and no one has the amount of arms to protect. Like, uh, uh, to protect everything. It's bad. The battles have been glorious. Plenty of souls to purify. You and your damnable spirit and fighting. He just pulls out a handkerchief, starts stabbing his forehead, and goes, Oh my, God, God damn it. Did you find a moss? I have not been able to find my friend anywhere. The doors to the palace won't open? And again, he's sweating more. Damn it all. And he just shakes his head and he looks at, uh, what's your character's name, Cupcake? He says, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Springblade. I'm David, so it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, furiously, like, putting his, like, pudgy hands around to uh, your hand. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's a pleasure to meet you, too. Yeah, and he just gives you a smile and uh, says, do you, do you have any ideas of what we can do for Lord Diamond? I, I have gold to spare and uh, plenty. Whatever you require, I just... They need attention. Uh, well, um, I could... Uh, I could pr probably make an invention. That's, that's what I'm known for. Yeah. And he uh, basically just asked specifically, Can you make an apparatus for assisting in breathing? Oh, an apparatus? I, 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 could, pr I could probably make that. Oh, yeah, real fast. Yeah, and I assume, like, it's, we see kind of a montage as, like, uh, you see David, like, uh, point to uh, the bear and basically point at the gnome. Then we see both of them as you guys, like, forge equipment and uh, basically work an anvil. And what exactly does this invention look like? So the apparatus is a brass cylinder with a large hole cut out of the middle with yeah. a cloud giant heart acting as a air filter so it is semi uh, on the outside so it can act as filtering air inside mm -hmm. with that air being filtered through a brass metal hose leading up mm -hmm. to what looks like a half of a beak uh, hmm. akin to uh, half of a plague doctor's mask hmm. awesome and uh, like you're look you're looking at like uh, the heart and we look at the heart and it seems like a lot of your inventions were kind of thwarted by how big it is since he wants it to be mobile and you start like writing down the ruins that you uh, discovered in uh, the valley of hollow clashes then it catches the bear's eye as it's very like it the ruins are of giant kin something he's vaguely familiar with and you guys go into explaining and figure out that the heart could actually work it just needs to be properly Im implemented we see the bear fucking carving into the heart not deep but enough to make the sigils then uh, we see Rudin 
like pour a vial of liquid on it that makes the runes glow then we see like the heart shrink like of three sizes till it's like a foot big and you're able to put it in your apparatus and uh basically uh you guys give it to the person in bed and we see the person put on the mask and we hear like pain gasps <gasps> and again like it sounds like a sigh of relief after a few like greedy breaths like this person has not breathed with regular oxygen like taking in a full breath for most of their life and we see like them sit up from their bed hang their legs over the bed and it is but a teenager you look at him and it's hard to see his face now with the plague doctor mask but he's just like a not not nodding his head but bouncing his head up and down as he's like puffing out his chest uh, da, da, da. No, no, now be, be careful not to let that ma- mask fall off mm-hmm. and we see him take off the mask and he has long blonde hair and he is frail super fucking frail he immediately defies you and he says with a pain gasps you talk to celiac uh, and he just runs out of breath takes another deep breath from the mask takes it off again to speak and he tells you i am son of earl diamond youngest of my kin thank you and he tries to stand up to like put up a brave front but he is way too sickly but he holds out a hand for you oh okay and i shake his hand Mm -hmm. and he asks you how long till i'm cured Oh well, by my calculations, you should should um um be be pretty good, and I'd I I'd say about three months. He just nods his head, and he puts on the plague doctor mask, and uh, like how heavy is that fucking like suitcase that he has? It would be around well, probably about thirty forty pounds heavier than me. Hmm. Thirty forty thirty forty pounds, and he yeah, he it's temp- yeah, I was gonna say, he tries picking it up, and with his, like, uh, frail frame, he, like, nearly pulls something. And he looks at uh, the bear and says, uh, me, please, help. Motioning for you to carry the apparatus. Sure thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my bad, I, for- I forgot one one part. And I pull out two little wheels to put on the apparatus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, what does it add to, like, uh, the device? It allows it to be pulled like a wagon so it rolls instead of like scraping it against the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like uh, uh does it have like the handle too? Like so you can drag it like a tiny little like red wagon. Yep. It's like a little suitcase now. Yeah. Okay. So like in that case he goes, Thank you, me, but it looks like this will do. And he grabs himself and still struggles to pull a little bit, but you know, like he's tugging at it and goes I haven't left my bedside in years. And it's getting muffled now. He's trying to uh, talk with the mask on. And I guess what happens next is open and close. And we see uh, two guards as they come in bickering. 
One of them uh, says, no, 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 you're, you're having it all wrong. It could happen any night now. Have you forgot what what our job truly is? And like you hear the younger voice go, you've uh, you've forgotten in your old age what it truly means to be a guard. And they uh, come walking up to uh, David. And uh, do you uh, boys chime in or uh, uh, go close to the conversation? I'll wait for him to gain audio back, but I'm not going to. I'm too scared. Okay, so you're hiding. Um, I assume, like, uh, Mii's walking up front and center. And kind of would stay next to Horodin. Mm-hmm. He's standing next to him. And uh, you see, uh, uh, like, David trying to, you know, hide his excitement, seeing, like, uh, the Lord get out of bed. But then, like, quickly, like, you know, hushes the guards and says, Gentlemen, what, what kind of issues do you have? And you hear, like, uh, the younger of the two. He, uh, he, uh, he, uh, straight up tells, like, uh, he tells, uh, David that, uh, Tolan is trying to take our forces and use them in our night escapades. We haven't had a demon invasion in a week. And I'm telling him the useful way to use the guards is to have them throughout the morning and afternoon. Granted, things are going to happen at night, but we need to create some form of order in this town and you hear like the old uh, older one go this naive child Caden here is trying to take away from the night watch now I've been a part of the night's watch for 40 years of my life and I'll tell you the demons will return we can't be taking away the guards at night and David just looks puzzled as he says it hasn't happened for a week. We're under uh, martial law. Do you really think we can uh, afford to lose uh, the, this kind of uh, security? I'm... And he looks at Caden. I'm with Caden. This is quite a delicate issue, but he seems to have the right view in mind. Um, he looks at me and goes, uh, Me, you're, you're an expert at uh, uh, when it comes to security and what it takes to finish a job. What is your opinion on the matter? Sounds like you've got some weak guards. Why can't you do both? Well, unlike most people, me, it's uh, humans require sleep. Hmm. Sounds like they haven't been taught well. If uh, there's no arguments at the moment, like uh, David just uh, lays down the order, uh, acting as uh, the de facto uh, uh, leader of uh well essentially like uh the government he's the last representative of uh, the giuliano government left in this town besides save a noble or two that have lost either many of their men or have just been secluded in isolation until like uh more reinforcements arrive so uh david uh tells uh caden and tolan do as the boy wishes is most wise to keep order and security during the day. We can't always keep security as we wish, that's why we have the Crimson Fist as a supplement. And they both nod and, you know, like, Tolan gives a nasty eye just saying, you can't trust the Crimson Fist. They've already let us down once. And David says, by, by damn it all, the Crimson Fist didn't let us down. How can anyone expect what happened that night? And he goes, I don't understand why you support the Crimson Fist so. And we see, like, to a trained eye, his false confidence is, like, 
backed up with a little bit of fear of something. And he uh, basically like doubles down saying, You'll do as I damn well please. Guard during the day will have the Crimson Fist what's left. Guard us at night. Can only do what we can. Get off. And you see them both like fucking leave. Caden having a smug smile as Tolan fucking grits his teeth and shakes his head. Hey there. Hey there, little one. You seem to be pretty good with tools. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, I, I know a lot of things, like, 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 really good. Do you want to be my friend? Uh, uh, uh potentially. As, uh, 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 what, what can you, you, you offer? I don't get to meet many people with my work, so it's nice when I can meet someone who likes things I like. What, what, what kind of things do you like? I like building things. I like drinking and eating and i do like fighting oh f f fighting uh, uh that that that's not my cup of tea i can fix that uh m m maybe we could uh, uh we could uh do a, a build date and we uh you want to go find some smith smith tools okay but first i want to hand him uh, a bottle of, of liquid mm. uh what's in the liquid take a drink do you take a drink I'm going to pop the top and give it a smell real quick. Hmm. Great, Ed. Uh, what does it smell like? It smells like honey and, and oak a little bit, but like a very strong smell of alcohol. Oh, Jesus. Oh, oh, I, I, I don't know if, I could, if, I'm, if I'm allowed to drink this. Drink it. Made it myself. <laughs> Stop being a pussy. <laughs> Uh, uh, okay. Uh, roll a persuasion check against me. Twelve. That's just <laughs> enough. <laughs> so I slowly um, put it into, like, drink a little bit, keeping it in my mouth, not swallowing. And because of the alcohol, I'm gonna try my best to swallow it. How strong is it? Let me do a quick roll. <laughs> uh, he's up. Uh... Orden made a uh, constitution save, rolled natural 20, so he's not going to suffer. Unnatural. Oh, an unnatural 20? That just depends. Uh, no, I, I rolled pretty low, so okay. not too strong. Okay, it's not too strong. What is it, like, uh, uh, four locos strong? <laughs> yeah, I'll say it's about that. Yeah, so it's strong, just not enough to totally get your shit face unless you have another one. Pick him up and put him on my back, and then mm. start walking into the city. Yep. Now, if you guys look at the map, uh, we have uh, something special. Uh, each side of uh, the map no longer reflects uh, what gangs and factions that we have at the moment. With Asmodai's decision, the Jade Hills on the right is now a purple-red, where both the Night Watch and the Crimson Fist uh, control the territory. But the Coliseum is black. That is controlled by a different gangs. So just to uh, try to visualize what we got, the far left, uh, where the blighted slums are, is Crimson Fist territory. They'll uh, own, like have a section of where the gang started off and where most of their hideouts are. Uh, to its right is a territory owned by the Sisterhood, Revolutionaries. Uh, to the bottom uh, right is the King's Gambit, where some of the uh, fallen nobles were forced to go above it and to the right of the sisterhood is the black eyes 
Then to the right of that is the Grim Song, a thieves' guild. We have Night Watch, the branded that owns uh, the Coliseum. And finally, if you look at the dead center of where the Ink Sea is, the water in between, that is also owned by a faction called the Vadian family. This is just common knowledge of what's happened throughout the week. Now, as you guys go outside, the first thing that greets you is a flying leviathan in the sky that covers the sun. And as it covers uh, the tentacled sun, we see a scene that uh, folds out. We see a man uh, stomping outside of the door of uh, like a nice house. And me, uh, John, uh, you know this house, you've been keeping an eye on it, but since they haven't gone against nobles, magical inquisition, or basically against any goals you have in mind, you'd let, uh, let them be. It's one of the uh, supplement houses in the Jade Hills owned by King's Gambit. And you see him yell back, I'm not going to be your damn queen. And we see that he tosses the crown on the floor and we see a blue jay looking at the scene satisfied. Oh, are you sure? It comes with a lot of benefits, I can assure you. And he just kicks the dirt as he's uh, walking away. <laughs> uh, his loss. So I am going to hop off Mii's back. Oh, you're on Mii's back the entire time? <laughs> yeah, didn't you hoist me up? Yeah, I said I put him on my back. Oh, I didn't even hear that. <laughs> That's a cool little visual. I'm gonna rush over to the blue jay. Be like, "Oh, you, you, you got such pretty feathers. I, I haven't seen like birds like this before." So, kind of looks. Uh, uh, how tall are you again? Uh, just for three foot. Okay, yeah. So he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to like quite look so far down. I just like look down, like, "Oh, hello there, you." And yes, they are quite lovely. <laughs> Can I can I have one? one? One just one of your feathers, unless it, unless it'll hurt. It's like uh, obviously beaks don't smile, but the eyes kind of like uh, give a different thing. And like, no, I've done this. Pauses for a moment. More than enough times, as he just plucks a single feather from it and presents it to this uh, this like this small boy. So as he is probably plucking it and handing it gently to me, I am going to jump up and grab it from his hands and stash it in my pocket. <laughs> you know what? That's kind of the equivalent of, you know, like a noble plucking his hair and just giving it to a peasant. <laughs> oh, th 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 thank you. Well, now, isn't someone a little eager beaver? No, no. I'm uh, I'm a gnome, not, not beaver. Oh, dearie. It's an expression. As he takes just one of his taloned hands and kind of like... Uh, Maybe a bit condescendingly, just like pats it on your cheek. Uh, with that, I am going to take out a little notebook and write in it that being a beaver isn't literal. You are a bird. Just kind of blinks. <laughs> yes, astute observation. You want some? I'm going to hold out my drink down. Yeah. I could use a victory drink. Yeah. I, I'm assuming you dust off the crown and put it on. <laughs> yeah, just looks like gives it a hot second. Just like, uh, okay, yeah. So basically, he just like uses his his own 
his own feathers a bit as just kind of like brush the dust it off a little bit and kind of like puts the crown on. <laughs> uh, congratulations, you are now one of the two leaders of the King's Gambit. Yeah, just like, uh, just like, like, uh, take, takes, I guess, the, uh, sip offered to him and, like, a like, takes a, uh, takes a sip into his beak <laughs> and hands mm-hmm. it back to him. <laughs> Make a con save. Tell me how strong the beard is, uh, John. Well, I imagine it would be the same strength. Okay, same. Okay. Exactly. So it would be a, a 10 roll. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> yeah, that's a seven. Uh, any special effects with that liquor? Or is it just regular, uh, you know, homebrew moonshine liquor? Well, I mean, it, it tastes really good, but it's very strong. So yeah. he's. Poor loco strong. He's pretty tipsy. So, whew, that one has quite the kick. <laughs> yeah. You want to be my friend now? I'm not going to lie. That's actually a pretty fucking good hook. <laughs> Again, just blinks at the, I guess what he'll call the, the very forwardness. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do, do you have a name? <laughs> my name's Mididi. Gesundheit. <laughs> What's your name, friend? A, you may call me P1. Gesundheit. <laughs> nice to meet you, PP. <laughs> oh my god. And then I will take out my notebook and write PP for the bird's name. <laughs> what are you gonna do, Mega? That no, it is P1. <laughs> P1. Right? Yes, there you go. And I am going to, well, since he just corrected me, TD, I am going to show my notebook, and it spells P-E-E-E-D, Wan, for W-A-N, for the name, and check the spelling. So it's Pied Wan. Do you have ink? And I take out an inkwell and dip his feather into it and hand it to him. His own feather? Yeah, I just took from him. Well, that skips a step as he just takes the feather and starts writing it correctly. P-I-W-A-N. And even kind of like gives it a little flourish too. Uh, An actual signature. On the agenda, you guys, uh, I would say at most like uh, P1 has maybe like one goal to uh, set up uh, relations with another gang with this newfound uh, leadership to inform like uh, a former or not former, uh, an associate of the King's Dammit, uh, Gambit of a change of leadership and that gang would be the Crimson Fist, but if you so well choose you can just explore the town and see what it has to offer. Well, I guess while he's, the, while he's thinking about it, I wouldn't suppose that either of you would know the qualities of a true player? No, I, ha- I-, I haven't dated yet. I like games. Okay, definitely not you. <laughs> games are fun. And that's strike two. <laughs> so, well, I'll keep searching for that. Wait, so so what's with your uh, f- f- fancy crown? Oh, this? As he just kind of like, uh, just like looks it up and kind of like, like uh, maybe even like does a show about it. Just, uh, oh, I just recently took leadership of, at least co-leadership of the King's Gambit. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, oh, so you, oh, you said player as, oh, like chess? No, no, if you... 
honestly, if you have to ask, you're definitely not them. Hmm. Do they make good food? I met a king one time. He gave me good food. Just blinks. <laughs> um, no. A, nothing about being a true player involves cooking. Oh, well, yeah, well, P1, uh, um, we're looking for um, to find some tools so me and Mitidi can uh, build some things. Do, do you want? Do you want to build some things with us too? As I'm shaking uh, my head up and down. Uh, as fun as that sounds, I do have something a bit on the docket. I have to, I have to meet with another gang. Uh, uh, wh wh which one? Uh, uh, are either of you from around here? Uh, I've only come to town recently. No, I'm not. I'm not from around here. I've had a few hunts in the city, but probably haven't been here in about thirty years. Hmm. I suppose I'll just have to ask someone else for directions to the Crimson Fist. Oh, I know where they are. Oh, you do? Oh, then excellent. One of my friends works for them. Oh, even better. As he just kind of like maybe like walks back over to like the the entryway of the of the gang for a bit. It's like it's like. Your king will be stepping out for a moment, but trust me, I will be returning, and there are going to be a few changes. <laughs> See? <laughs> Alright. And I assume, like, as you peek your head, like, we see, like, you know, Blue Jay's, like, head come through the door. Then, like, we end the scene with a cut. So, I'm gonna say, it, like, door slams. Boof. And sometime during that week-long martial law where gangs are going at each other's throats and trying to claim more and more territory. We see at night a white birch hanging tree with a swinging satyr as we see Dust, a black tabaxi, hugging his knees and leaning onto the tree. He mumbles to himself the last words to an old friend. Cobalt, I may have seen you as a friend, but your face has changed too. Yep. Covering his face with his paws, slightly sobbing, he repeats. Why did you do it? Then he repeats it again, slightly more angry. Why did you do it? Then he yells at it, scratching the bark with his claws. Why did you do it? Then we hear a very familiar voice say, Hey, Cobalt, do what? Then we zoom into Dust Paws clawing at the bark as it stops at a pin's drop. His closed eyes shoot open and dart over to a blue Cobalt. Col Cobalt? Where have you been? I haven't heard from you. He stops himself as the mangled corpse of Alphonse, his orphan, burns into his vision. Why haven't you left? He says it so coldly. Because Cobalt sorry and Cobalt fixed. He says it just so simply. How can you fix Alphonse? A life taken is a life gone. Dust stands up, walking towards Cobalt, and he says... I thought of all the people in Drogport. You wouldn't be so naive to know what it means to die. The tiny blue kobold shaking his head uh, gives Dust a look of pity. And he says, Master Pathabas is very strong. Dying nothing to Master. Master is great fixer. He holds out his tiny hand with an unlit torch promise stick. And he continues, Please, Dusty Kitty, kobold promised to bring Alphonse back. Cobalt never break promise. And Dust, he thinks about it for a moment. Then he lets out a sigh, scratching the back of his neck as he stares at Nickel, the satyr, 
We hear a mechanical click and clicks and swirls behind Cobalt's back as Dust's eyes begin to glaze slightly. And Cobalt says, Had he been sleeping? And Cobalt pokes at his leg with the promise stick. Then we see Dust as he says, Yeah, I, I just got some rest. The camera is a back shot of Dust as we see the back of the tree taking half the screen. And an elf with a brown badger tattoo on his neck lies dead on the ground with two frozen and broken ankles. Dust thinks about it, squinting his eyes at Cobalt, then thinking of the lonely days and nights he's had this week. How desperately he's hunted gang members of the Wild Ones just to live. He just sighs and says, Fine, but Cobalt, if you're lying to me, I will end you. Cobalt tears up slightly. See Dust and Cobalt walking side to side, and they start going up to the unseen public palace that's appeared in our reality. We see a black Fabergé egg behind Cobalt's uh, uh, back, and it plays like a mechanical music box, whispering a distorted melody. We love, love you, you Nix. And as they're walking away, we see the glint of Cobalt's now black gemmed collar, with the smoky visage of Cobalt banging against the glass and screaming, No trust Cobalt! No trust Cobalt! Nasty kitty! Yep, and then we end on that note as we see like the smoky visage of Cobalt banging inside of this collar, screaming but not being heard, and we see the Cobalt we just saw with a green gemmed ring as he tries to grab Dust's hand and Dust keeps snaking his hand away. And we turn to black and end it there. This has been House Common Blood, the intro and outro music by Sap, Oh My Dog. All music and sound effects used in the episodes are royalty free. Credits can be found in the episode description. Please review us on whatever podcast listening app you happen to be using. And if you like us, tell other people. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow. Thank you for joining us. Now get out of here before I pwn your ass on Civ 5. <laughs>